Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Things everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies. We can't stop talking about it. Why? Because birth control is viewed as the thing that is the solution to reducing abortion numbers or to the lack of access to abortion. It's not. We need to be able to respond as people increasingly turn to everything from birth control to sterilization. In fact, I'll discuss a little later on the story of one woman who wrote to me this week uh, talking about how and why sterilization isn't the answer for any woman and how we don't talk about the real life stories of women who have been there and regret it. Also, I'll debunk arguments made from the speeches and some of the signs at the Women's March this weekend because it is important that we're engaging with these arguments even if we don't think they're that strong. That's why we have to respond and be able to break it down. Also, you can repurpose furniture, but you can't repurpose the human person. And I think that this is what the LGBTQ ideology and movement is really trying to do. And as I was thinking about theology of the body this morning, it really hit me that there's this attempt to repurpose who we are as human beings, but the reality is, is that we, what we are called to is redemption, our Lord Jesus Christ, and being renewed in what God's original meaning for the human person was. Not trying to pick up the pieces of our fallen nature and recreate ourselves and repurpose ourselves. It's not working out too well, as we can see in the gender movement. But I think many of us are tempted to fall in line with what this gender ideology is saying in the name of love, in the name of compassion and empathy. But that's not the most empathetic way to go. And we'll talk about that today on Trending. Okay, news broke this week. The FDA received its first application on Monday for over-the-counter birth control. We practically have over-the-counter birth control over the last really five to eight years with the HHS mandate, mandating uh, free access to birth control, where we've seen programs such as the Pill Club, where you can basically go online and have birth control shipped to your house. Again, there's a little bit of medical... I guess, involvement in that, but not much. But what we're seeing with the FDA receiving this application is that this is the first request that we will have seen where birth control is outright being petitioned to be made over the counter. That's right. You can go to your local drugstore and pick it up if the FDA approves this. Now, this comes fast on the heels of President Biden's executive order last Friday really pushing on health and human services to give greater access to everything from abortion to also contraception. 
the company that's seeking out to be the first over-the-counter birth control provider is HRA Pharma, a Perigo company. And we'll see what happens. Again, this will be birth control over-the-counter without a prescription, which is currently what's required. Again, there's very little need for any medical oversight. There shouldn't be medical oversight, but there isn't. Following proper guidelines, really, a woman should be checked in on at least every few months, but that doesn't even occur. I think we talked about that last week here on Trending. So here's the deal. When I was really thinking about the fact that we may be facing, as ridiculous as this this is, we may be facing the FDA does approve this application for over-the-counter birth control. We already have widespread access to birth control. We already have the HHS mandate that makes birth control basically free to pretty much anyone who would like it. But what we don't have is truthful information given to the vast majority of the population about the reality of birth control. Last week here on Trending, Mike Gaskins joined me. He's the author of the book, In the Name of the Pill. And we broke down a lot of information about the history of the pill, the awful research that was done to do test studies to put it on the market and the Puerto Rico studies and the women who were used and abused five of about a hundred died in those studies you have to go ahead and listen to the podcast last week we'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes to that but what I want to talk about now is really clearly and simply things everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies there are five things I want to talk to you about and I'll break down a little bit of the studies as well without going too deep, but really trying to give you those nine things that I really hope that you could communicate to anyone you knew who was on birth control. Because the reality is, is that pretty much every woman who's on birth control has some side effect at some point. And so being able to speak into helping her connect the dots between that side effect and the birth control use are significant. And we're all about being pro-woman, pro-women's health. So let's talk about some of these. Number one, not a lot of people know this, but I think it's important that we discuss it first and foremost. The vast majority of hormonal birth control, including the pill and many others, can function in two ways. One, as birth control, preventing sperm and egg from ever meeting. And two, as an abortifacient, and that is basically making it so that a baby dies in the earliest stages of life. Let's go back a little bit. So birth control fun- can function by preventing the woman from ever really ovulating. It can prevent a sperm and egg from ever actually meeting when there are sperm and egg present. And it can also function when sperm and egg have met, creating that new distinct human life, the full genetic makeup present, knowing whether or not in that DNA, whether the baby's male or female, eye colors, even characteristics about tendencies in this baby's skin tones. I mean, so many pieces of information that are there written into the DNA of the human person at the earliest stage of development. All of that's there. And through hormonal birth control, and I'll give you a list of some of those in just a moment, an abortion can occur. And not a lot of people know that. And the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists lie about this, as do a majority of mainstream physicians and others, because the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, I talked about this a couple months ago here on the show. In fact, we'll have to post a link to that as well in the podcast notes, as well as on social media, where I explain how ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, that is radically pro-abortion, right around the time of Roe versus Wade, took it upon themselves 
to rewrite when they define that human life begins. And they claim human life begins at implantation. Therefore, hormonal contraception does not function as an abortifacient, according to them. That's not true. That's not consistent with science. That it was just a political move for them to redefine how they were going to express things. And it's led to a number of people being led to believe that hormonal birth control does not perform an abortion that it can be an abortion, but it can. So first of all, we need to tell the truth to women that they could literally be aborting their children through having taken birth control. I was actually just giving a presentation breaking down the full impact of birth control from a scientific perspective, but then also an interpersonal and a faith perspective, understanding the sociology, the health side, as well as the theology of birth control. And my heart broke for these Two girls who are incredibly pro-life come from an incredible pro-life family, but years ago, their parents used birth control early on in their marriage, and these two girls were just weeping, thinking about how I could have siblings I don't know about because of that birth control use. And I reminded them because their parents didn't know that it functioned as an abortifacient because most people don't know the birth control that can function as abortifacient. So we're talking through that. But I think it's so important that we tell the truth because so many people have regret and loss and heartbreak looking and wondering, did I lose a baby to abortion because I was on birth control and I didn't know it? I could have. I don't know. I took it for all those years. I had no idea. Let's get rid of the unknown by helping inform and form people. So number one in the nine things that every woman should know or every person should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies. Number one, birth control can work as an abortifacient or as birth control. Briefly running through the list of things, uh, some of them, this doesn't include all of them, some of the forms of birth control that do function as an abortifacient as well as birth control include the pill, Ella, Norplant, Depression, Provera, Plan B, also known as the morning after pill, Previn, the patch, OrthoEvra, an IUD. That's right, an IUD has chemicals as well as barrier, or not barrier, but a physical uh, item inside the body. Uh, NuvaRing, Lunel, the late period pill, which is a new push for abortion actually right now in states where less access to abortion is given. Also, as we know, RU46 uh, pill, which is a chemical abortion pill, but some people like to pretend as if it's just emergency contraception. No, it's an abortion, which is mifepristone. And then also you have methotrexate and misoprostol when used together. It can also function as an abortion. This does not include all of them, but those are just some of the forms of what people refer to as hormonal birth control that cause an abortion. So one, birth control can work as abortifacient or as birth control. Not everyone knows that. Number two, hormonal birth control made up commonly of synthetic forms of estrogen and progesterone or a group one carcinogen. I have five studies in front of me I briefly want to run through to just be really clear. I'm going to include uh, this research in my podcast notes for today's show. Uh, The pill is a cancer-causing carcinogen recognized by the United Nations. The cancer research in the UK recognizes that breast cancer is more common among women who take hormone replacement therapy and the pill for long periods of time. Remember what quote-unquote hormone replacement therapy is? It's also what people are using today for cross-sex hormones when they want to identify as an opposite sex. That causes cancer in people. And we are not informing, informing young people who are taking cross-sex hormones, especially without parental approval, as minors. Okay, another study, Time Health and Family Magazine, says a curious link between birth control pills and prostate cancer. Yes, because it's in our drinking water. Now, because it's being 
shed off in our urine for those who take it and it's leaching into our water system and yes birth controls in our water today university of boulder colorado did one of the first studies on this or studies worldwide showing that there's a link between increasing cancer among men and women linked to birth control also the journal of national cancer institute said oral contraceptive use has been associated with an increase in the risk of breast cancer in young women a 2003 Columbia University study, so the National Institute of Environmental Health added estrogen to its list of known cancer-causing agents. Estrogen known to be in birth control. Okay, I could go on and on. The list is copious with studies out there. But again, number two in the nine things that everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies is that it is a group one carcinogen, cancer-causing agent. Number three, birth control increases blood clots leading to stroke and heart attack. You may have followed the news. Haley Bieber, the wife of Justin Bieber, model, also daughter of Alec Baldwin, had a stroke a few months ago, and her physician linked it to the fact that she had just started birth control and also the fact that she would have been a candidate who should not have had uh, been on birth control. It should never have been prescribed it because of her family history in this direction of predisposed health issues that fall in line with health problems that are caused by birth control. Number four, women who are on form of birth control are two times more likely to get HPV. Why? Because they're more sexually active thinking that they're safe from the baby coming, but they're not safe from a sexually transmitted disease, or might I add also a broken heart that comes with sleeping around. I'm not even getting into the interpersonal side of the harms of birth control. We'll have to talk about that more in the days to come because we will be staying hot and heavy on this topic because we need to discuss this with family, friends, forming and informing people before it's ever a risk and helping people to know the truth. Okay, number five in this list of things everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies. And by the way, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio if you're just joining me. Number five, it decreases libido. And some might say, well, how does this have to do with medical issues? Because we're talking about functions of the body that are functioning correctly and for the first time in human history we gave the body with hormonal birth control something to stop the body from functioning according to how it's supposed to function that's what birth control is that's what abortion is and that's what so-called therapeutic so-called therapeutic hormone replacement therapy and hormone therapy is for people who identify as a different sex than their biological reality. All of this is not medicine. But why do I bring it up? Because we have medical fallout. One of those medical fallouts for people who are taking hormonal birth control or also cross-sex hormones is decreased libido. People think they're going to have more access to their sex life when in reality they have less interest in their sex life. Number six in this list is birth control increases the future risk of ectopic, also known as tubal pregnancies. The damage that is done through hormonal birth control is leading to those babies when you decide you want to have a baby or when there's a surprise, because these surprises still do happen when you're on birth control, these babies are often stuck in the fallopian tube. And as we know, currently the only treatment for that, you can wait and see for a certain point, but an ectopic tubal pregnancy can kill both mother and baby. And so it was the one area where we talk about you don't have an abortion, while some people will take forms of methoprostol, methotrexate, to 
have an abortion to kill that baby that's in the fallopian tube, um, that that is an abortion. That is the intentionally going in and killing of a baby in the fallopian tube. But the best medical intervention, and it's a sorrowful one, is to remove, extract the baby from the fallopian tube, either intact inside the fallopian tube or making an incision in the fallopian tube and removing the baby. The baby then dies naturally outside of the womb. There's a difference between the intentional killing via an abortion and the extraction of a living baby that we can try our best to give medical intervention to, but is usually at such an early stage in life, we're not able to help that baby survive outside of the womb. And so what we're seeing is that women are going through the tragedy of ectopic pregnancies, whether of a wanted child or a surprise baby. And then they're going through with knowing the fact that in many cases, a common practice is to have an abortion using abortive drugs to kill the baby who's in the fallopian tube, rather than morally and ethically not having on your conscience that you had an abortion, but that you respectfully handled a medical treatment for both you and baby to try and save those both individuals. But many women today have this burden and sorrow of ectopic pregnancies, and they don't know that these are caused by hormonal birth control in part. They're also caused, by the way, side note, by abortion, because pelvic inflammatory disease is one of the most common side effects of an abortion procedure. And one of the most common side effects of pelvic inflammatory disease is to have future ectopic tubal pregnancies. This is the fallout when we intervene and try to stop natural functions of the body. That is ovulation, that is the creation of new human life, the development of growth of new human life in, in the body. Number seven, in this list of nine things that everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies is the risk of future infertility. Many women think that they can just get off the pill like that and have a baby, but that's not the reality. Their hormones have been completely jacked up for months, more often years, and sometimes even a decade or longer if they started birth control in their teens and early teens, and now they want to have a baby entering into their 30s. That's almost two decades later for some women. And the body doesn't just repurpose itself to have the perfect chemical makeup to have children again. What birth control does is it intervenes in preventing natural processes for years of functioning. And so many women struggle with short-term, long-term, or permanent infertility from hormonal contraception. Number eight, mental depression is huge for women who have taken hormonal birth control. There's tons of studies out there, one of which uh, that came out five years ago that was a great one by JAMA Psychiatry. And they did a wonderful job really showing uh, depression. I'll talk to you about some of the other side effects as well in a moment. Uh, but one really interesting thing that came out over the last few years is that when women uh, start birth control in their teenage years, when their brains are still developing, even if they get off birth control, for having taken birth control during those fundamental developmental years of the brain, even if they get off birth control, they have long-term damage to the ability to reason and also cope with stress, anxiety, and depression later on. And so we're doing long-term damage for so-called short-term solutions. Again, there's a JAMA study. We'll include a link in so on social media and in the podcast notes to number eight, again, being mental health 
crisis of depression. Number nine, going on with that mental health crisis and things everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies is severe increase in anxiety and nervousness. This is the truth of what hormonal birth control does to women's bodies and we need to tell them the truth. I'll run through it quickly. Number one, birth control can function as an abortion causing an abortion, also known as an abortifacient, not always functioning as birth control. Number two, it's a group one carcinogen. Number three, birth control increases the risk of blood clots leading to stroke and heart attack in young people. In fact, there's a whole story. Oh, Megan, I can't remember her last name, was uh, headed to the Olympics and she didn't get to go to the Olympics because she had severe blood clot that prevented her from competing. Number four, you're two times more likely to get HPV when on birth control. You have a decreased libido. Number six is increased risk of future ectopic tubal pregnancies. Number seven is risk of short-term, long-term, and or permanent infertility. Number eight is mental health depression. And number nine is anxiety and nervousness. What woman deserves this sentencing with a pill that seemingly is given to her either to help menstrual issues women's health issues, or to seemingly make it so that she can have sex without the fear of a baby. No woman deserves this. That's no solution, and it's damaging proper functioning of our bodies, and we need to tell people the truth. You're listening to Trending with Tim Wright here on Relevant Radio. We're going to come back and dive into debunking women's march arguments. While we're on the topic of abortion, it's hot and heavy. People are trying to find solutions. People are also engaging in arguments. And I was watching the speeches and looking at some of the signs of the women's march. And although it's easy to kind of just brush off some of these outraged women's arguments, I think it's important that we grapple with them just a little bit uh, and engage whether they're good or silly arguments. We'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Debunking women's march arguments. We are going there, even if you didn't attend the march, which I hope you didn't, please. And at least they weren't wearing nasty hats because it's summer and they are in really, really endorsing the color green for their summer of rage rallies that they had. One in front of D.C. where people like to try and claim that there were thousands there. There were a couple hundred people in D.C. No one actually wants to be involved in this. Although people might be raging pro-abortion, the reality is, the truth is, is that the vast majority of the nation is indeed pro-life. And I think that the media has done a great job making it seem otherwise. So I'll debunk some of the Women's March arguments because it is important that we engage them because to some people they sound convincing, especially those people who are in the middle on the fence. Also, we've been discussing whether or not sterilization is the answer to decreasing abortion access. And we've discussed how it's harmful to women's bodies. We talked about that today. I discussed, and you need to listen to the podcast later, I discussed nine things everyone should know about how birth control impacts women's bodies. Last week, we talked a lot about birth control and also the snip snip why a man should not get a vasectomy. 
But what I want to share with you is one woman's story. She wrote to me this week as I've been talking about sterilization and birth control, and she shares her own story, and you need to hear this. So stay with me. Also, you can repurpose furniture, but you can't repurpose a human person. And this is really what I think the LGBTQ movement is trying to do. Instead of allowing our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem and save us. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I really do want to talk about what the feminists had to say at the Women's March this weekend. So I watched the rally all the speakers at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., they had a couple hundred people, okay? They did not have that many people. They were full of rage. I talked about it yesterday on Trending. It's a reminder of how the pro-life movement has been joyful and has been positive and optimistic, and we need to keep that. Uh, we were able to do it for 50 years, even in the face of seemingly losing on the legal front of abortion. We can do it even now, tactfully. Well, the Women's March, one of the speakers, Sophie, Sophia Armin, said that we pro-life people by pushing overturning Roe versus Wade and pro-life laws are quote forcing women to have children. In other words, it's the same argument that people make that we force birth and force motherhood upon women. Well, let's just rewind for a moment. There's always the potential for a baby when you engage in intimacy. Whether you're on birth control or whether you intend to use so-called emergency birth control, that is an abortion, the killing of a baby, you made a choice the moment you consented to sex, even if on birth control. The possibility of a child is always present regardless of birth control or abortion access. So the pro-life movement isn't forcing birth and certainly isn't forcing motherhood and is not forcing anyone to have a child. You made that choice, and that's the reality. What you're doing by insisting on abortion is you're forcing death on a child. If anyone's forcing anything, it's the pro-abortion movement. And in fact, most women who choose abortion don't think or feel that they have a choice because they've been pressured by the greater abortion movement, the greater abortion ideology, a boyfriend or a family member, or what they believe were circumstances that made them only capable of having abortion because abortion was legal. When abortion is illegal, people think a little bit more about keeping their legs closed. Hence, sorry to be blunt, the sex strike that we are hearing all about feminists saying they're going to engage in. This is a win because we have more self-control. The reality is the history of the nation was very, very clear. Through Griswold versus Connecticut, that is the decriminalization of birth control contraception, we saw fast on the heels of the decriminalization of birth control, well, suddenly people could take babies out of sex, which meant... Well, we could then take sex outside of marriage. And next thing you know, you saw the nation starting with California and then sweeping the nation, moving toward no-fault divorce. Because if you can take babies out of sex, you can then take sex outside of marriage because you don't have to have that protection of a husband and wife raising a child together in commitment. You have the freedom to sleep around. You have the freedom for extramarital relationships. But uh-oh, birth control isn't always completely successful. We need a fail-safe of a fail safe of abortion. And this is why abortion came hot and heavy on the heels of first decriminalizing contraception, second, no fault divorce, and then third, 
making it so that abortion is accessible. And just to add a little bit of clarity here, there's a reason why the pro-abortion movement is now the pro-LGBTQ movement, because they want to obliterate when you say there's no differences between male and female, when you say that women don't have to have children and don't always have children, well, suddenly we confuse how we relate to one another on a very simple chemical, biological, physiological level, and suddenly we say there are no differences between men and women. In fact, I'm going to talk about this on Thursday, about how what we've done to our bodies by chemically altering them has completely changed how we physiologically and chemically interact and relate to one another. This is riveting science and studies you probably never heard of that you need to hear and share the news on. I'll be discussing that Thursday here on Trending. Okay, another one of the arguments from the Women's March this weekend. Sophia Arman, one of the speakers, said that by decreasing access, quote, we have, this is terrible when we have the highest student loan debt. Okay, I think that there is some legitimacy to the student loan debt argument, not that that is a reason for having an abortion, but I do want to talk about that for just a moment in a minute. And it's going to be a topic that I think we should discuss more often this summer in light of an impending job crisis. I know some states have more jobs accessible, some have none. We're looking at a future of having a massive um, decrease in access to jobs in the coming months and year or so, and we need to be talking practically about student loan debt and jobs, so we will be talking about that. But let's take this argument that Sophia Armin at the Women's March in D.C. made that by decreasing abortion, this is a horrible thing when we have the highest student loan debt. This is an argument in favor of abortion based on quality of life. It's a quality of life argument based on circumstances. This idea that I should be able to kill my baby because because of changeable circumstances, because the baby will be born into poverty, because the baby um, might have a special need, because I'm not married. All of these are quality of life arguments as to why we justify killing a baby for circumstances that are literally changeable. Okay, you could get married. Okay, well, you could come out of poverty. Okay, you... A child might have a diagnosis in utero, as we know, those genetic tests are have an 85% wrong rate in terms of when they positively say 85% of those tests that say there's some genetic disorder or problem, 85% of them are wrong. That's almost 9 out of 10 of them are wrong when they say there's something wrong with your child. And so all of these are changeable or maybe not real circumstances. Well, the same is with student loan debt. Student loan debt, trust me, I'm there. I have it. It's a huge burden. For some people, for many people, their student loan debt is the equivalent of what a house payment would be each month. But that doesn't mean that because you have student loan debt, because that is leading you to have to work multiple jobs or live and lead a more modest lifestyle, that doesn't mean it's a reason to be able to kill someone else. And so that argument that how could they decrease abortion access when we have the highest student loan debt, I understand student loan debt is difficult, but that's not a reason to be able to kill another person. It's a terrible argument. But let's speak for just a moment to the problem of student loan debt because this is a pro-life issue. This is a family issue. This is a marriage issue. This is a vocations issue. Student loan debt is actually getting in the way of many people getting married, starting a family, or entering into a vocation, a religious vocation. 
The reality is, is that most young people do not fully grasp the magnitude of what they were committing to with student loan debt at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. I would even argue that most people don't really understand the significance of the debt they're entering into into years later as they're really having to manage and pay for and work through the burdens of loans and what that really looks like and the fullness of all of the bills that you commit to. You know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you have next to no expenses, student don't loan debt doesn't sound like that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But it's become a real problem where people are delaying marriage, are delaying having children, and are delaying their vocation. I can say even in my own life, my husband and I you know, wish that we got married sooner, but in part, one of the reasons why we didn't get married sooner does in part have to do with the part student loan debt had in our journey. Uh, Another thing I think that's important with this in mind, because this is a pro-life issue, people are saying they need abortion because of their student loan debt, or because they say, wow, I took out all the student loan debt, I'm finally graduating, how can I stop now to have a baby when I'm just getting into the career that I spent all this money on, that I'm going to be indebted for for years to come? We have to speak to the reality of the problem of student loan debt before it's a problem. Helping people not to enter into it. Choosing vocational schools. Choosing realistic and practical degrees. My mom and I were just talking about that the other day. There's a difference between letting your passion be a hobby and it being what you do for work and actually being able to get paid for it and make a living and support a family. Those are really important distinctions we have to make in our culture. And there are a lot of people today who are regretting their choice of career and choice of education. And they're paying a price for it in student loan debt as well. So is that a reason to kill a baby? No. But is there legitimacy to why this is a problem for us as pro-life people to help contribute to a pro-life society? Yes. Parents, have these conversations with your kids Really, way to discourage student loan debt. Help kids to choose practical degrees. Encourage young people into vocational schools. I know so many people that never should have gone to college and would be thriving far better had they just stuck with a vocational school before college because many people are still going to vocational schools and it's after the big degrees and after the master's programs as well. Another one of the arguments from the Women's March this weekend in D.C. from one of the speakers, Sophia Arman, is that, well, who will take care of those children? That is, who will take care of the children that are born or forced to be born because of the lack of access to abortion because Roe has been overturned? Well, okay, let's talk about this for a moment. I love this argument. Who will take care of those children? Number one, pregnancy resource centers are there helping women so that they can be equipped to care for their children. Pregnancy resource centers are there helping women if they so choose to go through with placing their child for an adoption. More on adoption in a moment. There are also maternity homes across the nation. Maternity homes, have you heard of these? Where a woman who is pregnant can actually move in and live there. People will help her through her pregnancy, help her with caring for her baby. And when she's ready, when she's been given and helped and mentored with resources, she can move out on her own and support her child. And these places offer their services for free. In fact, I spent some time living in one because my parents closed up their house at one point to run a maternity home that they helped open when there were no, I guess you could call them house parents to run the maternity home and guide these women. So I lived in a maternity home for a while 
as a little kid. I've also been a part of seeing maternity homes help open in San Diego. There's one in San Diego called Agnus Day, uh, Lamb of God Maternity Home, and it's specifically for women who are choosing to place their children for adoption so that they can be with other like-minded women because that's a really difficult choice and you need other people who understand the difficulty of that choice. Who else will help women take care of their children? Generous people. In fact, I want to share with you a few stories. I know a pro-life family who adopted and raised their niece's two twin girls with special needs when, one, she was pregnant outside of wedlock, wasn't going to keep the babies, chose to raise this family, volunteered to raise the babies, adopt the babies, and raise them. And they're two thriving young women today. I also have a friend who adopted a baby after a woman walked, was walking into the abortion clinic and my friend was there sidewalk counseling. She helped intervene and talked her out of the abortion, but the woman said, I will only keep this baby if you will adopt my baby. So guess what? My friend has a baby that she adopted and is probably about five to seven years old today. She's raising her. She's her own child. And it is a beautiful, beautiful story. I also have another friend who was adopted about 30 years ago when her mother flew to the United States from India for a late-term abortion. In India, there's preferential treatment to have boys over girls. And much to her dismay and her family's dismay, she was having another girl. And so secretly, she was coming to the States. I don't know why she had exactly she had to come to the United States, but she was coming to the United States for a late-term abortion in California because California has always done late-term abortions. Well, a couple that I know was out in front of the abortion clinic that day and helped intervene and were able to help talk to her about how the woman shared she didn't want an abortion, but she felt like she couldn't go back to India, that she'd be ostracized for having another girl. And so the couple helped her to stay there in the States for a couple more months to then place her child for an, for an adoption. That young woman's a pro-life advocate today. And this is the truth. When people make this argument, like the women did at the Women's March, who will take care of these children? The answer is the generous people across this nation who are more than willing. Also, let's talk about it from the perspective of for just a moment of adoption. According to research from America Adoption, adoption waiting lists are massive if you didn't know this. There are 2 million adoptive families at any given time at least waiting to adopt a baby in the United States. For every one newborn baby that's placed for adoption, there are 36 couples waiting still. Most couples wait years for children. The journey is long. And so that's the truth of the matter, the generosity, the loving desire for to be parents. Those are the people who are waiting in droves to care for these children. They will be wanted. They will be loved. If a woman cannot parent her own child, a child can be placed in loving arms of others and others are willing to help a woman to be those loving arms, even if she feels like she isn't quite capable yet. Another argument made during the Women's March is they claimed that by making abortion illegal or overturning Roe, they're, quote, the pro-lifers are, quote, leaving us a death sentence. In other words, what they're saying is my life is over if I don't have access to abortion. This is the lie that women have been told for years. And the younger generation in particular believes this today. That without access to birth control and abortion, 
They are not functioning members of society. This is really the only argument that was made before the Supreme Court during oral arguments regarding the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Court case that overturned Roe v. Wade. Women are being lied to, but women are believing this, that their life is over without access to abortion. In fact, I've been talking to many young women who have shared with me that they're shocked by their friends who have come out and acquaintances on social media when the decision of Roe v. Wade came out to overturn it, that these women were making out of nowhere, people who've never talked about abortion before, making these arguments about how their lives were over without access to abortion. It was the worst thing. I think it's because although many people have never had an opinion on abortion, many people are suddenly exerting an opinion because they have been told the lie that is now compromising their future, thinking that they cannot have a future without abortion. And that's a lie. You don't need abortion to have a future, an education, a career, or to play in your family. Abortion kills a baby and harms the mom. It's permanent. It's long-term for the mom, that pain. And so I think that these arguments that are being brought up at the Women's March are legitimate arguments we do need to engage, even if they can be dismissed with good engagement. One of the last speeches at the Women's March in Washington, D.C., yes, I sat through the full hour of listening to them, was from Shauna Thomas. And she said, abortion gave me my life. Now, the audio broke out a little bit, but she said, abortion gave me my life. And then she said something along the lines of, it gave my children in their life. So she's making this argument that I wouldn't have my life and my children wouldn't have the life they have today if it weren't for abortion. She wasn't making it based on a medical necessity. She was saying abortion is what allowed me to be the person, to have the circumstances and the means I do today. And what she's saying is the children I have now, they wouldn't have the life they have today had I not had that abortion those years ago. You see, these arguments are what some women believe, and they're being convinced by the greater pro-abortion movement. Why? Only because the pro-abortion movement is very loudly being promoted by the mainstream media. And so you and I have the responsibility to set the record straight with regard to abortion. I'll be back in just a moment. You need to hear the story of one woman as we've been talking about sterilization, vasectomies, birth control, and all of that. She wrote to me wanting you to hear her story about how sterilization impacted her. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending here on Relevant Radio. I want to share with you a testimony that Leona wrote into me this week. Uh, she shares her story of sterilization, and she shared it after we have been talking a lot over the last couple weeks about birth control, sterilization, vasectomies. We'll include links to the podcast notes talking about the medical fallout of some of these things, one of which we gave you nine things everyone should know today about 
abortion or sorry about birth control's impact on women's bodies but what was interesting is leona wrote to me about her past she said when i've been talking about birth control and sterilization it really made her think about her past she shared that she got pregnant when she was about 15 her sophomore year of high school her boyfriend now husband of 34 years he supported her through this along with her family and they had the baby then their sophomore year of high school when she was 15 she said we had a son and then three years later they then had a daughter again they married uh they've been married for 34 years this is a great pro-life story by the way that part of the story i just want to emphasize is something that you wouldn't see or hear today necessarily because women are encouraged to have an abortion in high school the high school sweetheart everything falls apart they lose that relationship and the next thing you know here is this broken woman who has is still a mom but is a mother to a dead child and here what i'm trying to say here is this is what's so important about having pro-life laws because it makes stories like these possible now she shares some of the downside of her story so they had two children they had a boy and a girl she said my husband had joined the military and we were living in hawaii a few years after my daughter was born and i got my tubes tied should it seem like the right thing to do at the time everyone seemed to be doing it and i had my boy and girl so we had the family we wanted and i didn't want to take birth control forever so she said, I went to the doctor and he informed me that military families could have the tubes tied for just a $25 copay. She said, but I wanted it done. And he said, if I wanted it done, I should do it right away because they were going to discontinue the copay and it would cost a lot more. So he got her scheduled for the next week. When she and her husband went to the hospital the next week and they were preparing her for the procedure, she started to get second thoughts. She said, this doesn't feel right. She said, maybe I shouldn't do it. But she said, I was already there. She said, my husband would be mad if I made him bring me here just to bail. She said, the doctors would be mad for wasting their time. And on and on, her thoughts continued to go. She said, I wanted to say no, but she felt like she was far too into it. She said, as she was falling asleep from the anesthesia, she tried to tell the physicians to stop because she didn't want to have her tubes tied. She said as the anesthesia was kicking in, she was screaming in her head to stop that she didn't want it, but they couldn't hear her screams because the anesthesia had been kicking in. She woke up and as she was coming back to it after the procedure, she woke up fighting, trying to make them stop because she didn't want her tubes tied. She said she was horrified because it was already done. This poor woman, because... This is the truth of sterilization for a lot of women. She goes on to say, I cried for days. She said weeks. She started to say, Lord, what have I done? She said, I'm so sorry. I ruined everything. She said, I couldn't stop crying. I was devastated at what I did and ashamed. She said, one day I lay on my bed while my children were sleeping she said, my husband was at work, and she said, I cried and told God I was so sorry for what I did, and to please forgive me. She said, I begged him. She said, as I laid there with wispy, feathery light, she said, I felt a wispy, feathery light 
flow over my legs and up over my face and covered my body. I felt this breeze and felt such a love and peace. She said the windows were closed and there was no wind or fan. I knew it was God and I knew he had forgiven me. She said I felt his peace and that it would be okay. But she said it was a long time before I could forgive myself. She said, I grew up Baptist, but was confirmed as a Catholic in 2019. Praise God. She said, I confessed my sin of getting my tubes tied and began healing from the trauma it caused that I had tucked away. Praise God. Did you hear that? She had this incredible miracle of an experience that God gifted her with when she was expressing her sorrow and asking his forgiveness, but she couldn't forgive herself at the time. It wasn't until years later when she converted to Catholicism and went to confession that that, my friend, began the healing and trauma that had had been caused by having her tubes tied. She goes on to share that after this procedure, she spent years on birth control pills anyways because her hormones were so imbalanced. By the way, tubes tied, all of these things that we try to do to prevent having children impacts how our body functions and can impact hormones. And also, you know, she didn't want to be on birth control for a year, so it makes it seem as if she had been on birth control, therefore also impacting her hormones. Anyways, what ends up happening, she shares, she said, I ended up getting fibroids and had a hysterectomy when I was 35. Should I long for more children, but I had to face the consequences of my decision. Should listening to your show, all of this came back to me of what happened. Should I was 22 when I had my tubes tied. I was way too young to make this decision. And I feel the doctors tried to scare me into having it done because I couldn't afford it without the cheap copay. Should everyone else was doing it. Said it was wrong, and the lies are still being told to women today, and they are suffering for it. Should listening to your show help me to sort out all the hurt I was still carrying around with me? I made a big mistake, but our God is merciful, and he has forgiven me. And now I am at a place where I can understand what brought me to that decision and accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. She goes on to share that not many people talk about how sterilization affects you when it's done. She said, I took control of my ability to have children when it was not my right to do so. It is God's right. She said, because I am his. She said, so great. She said, I'm so grateful for his love and mercy. She said, thank you for talking about all of this. It helps so much. I hope my story will help others to heal too. Leona, thank you for sharing your story of having a gone through with a sterilization, having your tubes tied, because you just spoke leaps and volumes to every person who has also chosen that same decision and regretted it. Uh, And you speak to the mercy that's available in our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in this situation, but you also speak to the truth that it's seemingly normal, that everyone's doing it that the medical community is encouraging it and pushing it. And that's actually a topic I want to talk about. The fallout, the medical impact of hysterectomies and having your tubes tied and that no one's talking about the aftermath of that, that so many women go through. And many women, just like the topic of vasectomies, men don't want to talk about the, the negative impact that's had on their bodies, and especially women. As women, we have the gift of motherhood. We're called to protect that gift of motherhood. And when we don't, whether through hormonal birth control, abortion, or sterilization, that guilt can run so deep that women often don't call out for help. 
and don't share their stories because they feel so much guilt and sorrow over the choices they've made. And Leona, by you sharing this story, this story speaks into the lives of so many people of mercy, of hope, and of the truth of what seemingly is an easy fix to not having a larger family when you're not ready, of not having a larger family because, or having any kids at all because abortion isn't accessible and you can't plan it on your own terms. These are the stories that tell the truth about the reality of how an abortion culture, a culture that says that babies aren't the result of what should come from the great gift of intimacy between a man and a woman, all of these things are what are leading to the medical fallout for women and men. We talked about that last week with vasectomies. It's leading to the interpersonal fallout. That is the relationships that are falling apart. It's leading to this brokenness where people sometimes are running from God because they think that what they've done is unforgivable. But Leona's story tells the truth that everything is forgivable in Christ. I invite you and encourage you, especially if you're Catholic, to go running, running to the sacrament of reconciliation because that's the great gift where we are healed by the blood of the Lamb. And we need to help people in seeking mercy to live their pro-life futures, even if they didn't have a past in that direction. Are you ready for our weekly Gentleman's Hour on Trending? This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Wednesday, gentlemen, listen up. I'll discuss why marrying younger leads to happier and permanent marriages. A recent study came out showing this. We'll also discuss abortion's impact on men. And listen to this. The Wall Street Journal came out talking about what porn does to teenage brains and you need to know. So join me Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.